Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast we will ever need. On today's show, we're actually just going to review the year 2022. We're going to start off with just a, a few trends that I've noticed throughout the year and sort of end it by talking about the big three and um, sort of what they were able to accomplish, kind of the good and the bad of everything that they did this year. So I thought it would be cool to kind of start off with uh, a few trends and begin with the uh, the numbers of our industry. In November of this year, research firm New Zoo claimed that while more people in the world played video games this year than ever before, the amount of money spent on gaming will actually decline. 3.2 billion players, which is up from 3.1 last year. 184.4 billion in revenue, but that's down from 192.7 billion in 2021. Their survey size was more than 75,000 people in 36 countries. Now, this isn't um, sort of a, a a super surprise when you look at economies around the world and and um, uh, here in the United States of America, and especially here in this country. I mean, I, I guess I can't. I speak from experience compared to what other countries are going through. Uh, you know, when it comes to what's happening in this country, a lot of people are you know tightening their wallets, and one of the things that usually gets cut out very quickly when you're tightening your wallet is uh, excessive or extra entertainment. So it could be you know a lot of people are just playing games for longer, or you know, um, or try to sign up for subscription services such as. Game Pass or what PlayStation offers with PlayStation Plus. So this it's really not much of a surprise that spending is down. And it's, I don't think it's really something that's like, obviously it's not cause for panic. We're still talking about 184.4 billion. But it doesn't mean now industry is, is shrinking. It's still very, very much growing. Uh, they called it the first drop in revenue since it began tracking the industry more than a decade ago. So a lot of people could look at it. Uh, it's definitely... You could look at it as a correction because of what happened over the last two years with pandemics and shutdowns and that causing uh, spending to go up during those those moments. Player numbers, they say, are soaring in Latin America, Africa, and the Middle East, which are all mobile-centric regions. And the market overall is expected to grow again soon. They claim reaching $3.5 billion and generated, uh, excuse me, reaching 3.5 billion players and generating $211 billion by 2025. So I'm pretty sure our industry is going to be just fine. Now, the first trend that I noticed, definitely noticed, I'm sure everyone noticed, was industry consolidation. It continues within the games industry. This is basically companies buying up other companies. Uh, we had a couple small and obviously very big acquisitions. We had Nordisk, who bought Supermassive. That's the team behind the quarry. Tencent acquiring Sumo Digital. Nintendo bought SRD and Dynamo Pictures. Nacon acquired Daedalic. Crafton acquired Neon Giant. We had gaming engine company Unity. With one of the biggest acquisitions, they acquired Weta, Weta Digital. And they also merged with a company called Iron Source. And then we had um, the, I think this was the second biggest 
actually, no, this was the biggest purchase of the year, which was when Take-Two bought mobile studio Zynga for an incredible $12.7 billion. And it is technically the biggest um, gaming purchase of the year because Xbox has not actually acquired Activision Blizzard, even though they made that announcement very early in uh, in the year. But obviously, you don't spend that much money on a company, especially a mobile company, without having a full understanding of its of its value. And it's something that I've spoken a lot about on Ken Koji is going to be this importance that companies place on um, on mobile gaming and the future is going to bring as we just spoke about in our last section about a lot of um, different regions that place a lot more weight in mobile gaming than we do here in, in, in the US. I think a lot of gamers here in this country don't really understand the appeal of mobile gaming, but I will tell you, you are in the absolute minority when it comes to gaming around the world. Then we had Sony. Sony bought a couple of studios this year. They bought Jade Raymond's Haven Studios. Obviously for us as players, they bought it sight unseen. Uh, Esports company repeat.gg. They bought a mobile developer called Savage Game Studios. Uh, They also purchased a 14.09% stake in From Software, which is a pretty big deal. And then, uh, obviously, their big purchase of the year was buying Bungie for $3.6 billion. Now, Sony has shown through the acquisitions a few things. Number one, they've shown a lot of interest in esports. As we know, they bought Evo, and now they they bought this esports company called Repeat.gg. Buying this mobile developer, they definitely uh, expressed more intent on on entering the mobile market and we'll speak about that a little bit more later in the show and then finally the purchase of Bungie and Haven Studios now I brought this up when I brought this up on the episode this year that spoke about Sony buying Bungie and basically the reason for why they bought Bungie a lot of people were surprised that they purchased Bungie and a few things happened number one Bungie remains kind of independent in a sense and the second thing is that Bungie remained committed to number one uh, keeping and fueling Destiny on all consoles for years to come which makes obvious sense and they also made this commitment that their next game is not going to be a PlayStation exclusive and I think a lot of people looked at those types of claims and they're like how this is possible why would you purchase a company and not make their future games exclusive to your ecosystem in in sort of a similar fashion to what uh, Xbox did when, for example, purchasing Bethesda and all those Zenimax studios. You'll notice that as now that they've purchased them, more than likely every single one of those games, especially if we're talking about single player, is going to remain Xbox and PC exclusives for the near future. And I think the reason why that is, and I discussed that during the Bungie episode, is I believe that Sony's not really interested in as much in Destiny as they are in what comes next from Bungie. And I think the same goes with Haven Studios. PlayStation is 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 desperately looking for their own 
universe. They're desperately looking for their own Minecraft, their own Fortnite, uh, their own Genshin Impact. They're desperately looking for a game that, yes, can exist on as many consoles as possible. If they can get whatever game Bungie and Haven are building on mobile, I'm pretty sure they're researching it. Haven Studios, whatever that game is, I wouldn't be surprised if that is also a game that's being planned for PC. And uh, the reason why is because very early uh, information that we've gotten from Jade Raven kind of points to a Fortnite, uh, not really Fortnite, but sort of a creator economy type of game where you're creating things. And when you're talking about those types of experiences, whether it's persistent online worlds or just multiplayer in general, you want that to be on as many consoles as possible because once you start monetiz um, you know, monetizing it, you're essentially crippling yourself by only placing it on uh, a single system. So something like that Haven Studios game, while it might be, while it might be something that won't come to Xbox, maybe remains a console exclusive for PlayStation, it's something I could see going to PC. And then the same thing with whatever this next Bungie game is. I think PlayStation, uh, you know, whatever it is that that studio is working on next, I think they've identified it as the potential to be their, their own Minecraft. And similar to what Xbox did when they bought Mahjong Studios, they instantly understood that Hey, if we buy this studio, removing this game from our competitors actually would make us less money. It just wouldn't really make sense in terms of the type of game that it is. Then we had uh, Netflix. Netflix was actually kind of a, a big player within our industry. They're now up to six internal game studios that they either started or acquired. And I think this year they Acquired or created either three or four of these studios. I can't remember. Spry Fox, I know for sure, was one that was bought this year. Boss Fight Next Games, two studios were built in Helsinki. And uh, the final studio is called Night School. I May mean, have brought this up before. I still don't think that this is, uh, this is a path for Netflix that makes a lot of uh, sense for the amount of investment that they're making. It's almost like, what's the guarantee that whatever, however much time it takes for these studios to make games, um, you know, three, four years, however long it's going to take, um, how can you absolutely guarantee the success? Um, because you're creating these games now that from everything that we know will be free to play, they will be available on PC. They've talked about building a shooter. That's also a PC free to play, but it's also one of those things. Well, how does it connect back to uh, Netflix? This is really worth your investment when you are a movie and, and TV streaming service. So, you know, I've said it before where I think that their focus should be a little bit more on mobile more than anything, but, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. We'll probably get more of a glimpse into, you know, uh, what their plans are at some point next year. And then we had Embracer Group went on a buying spree this year alongside purchasing Dark Horse Media and Middle Earth Enterprises that gives them, uh, they now own the rights for, for uh, Lord of the Rings and various 
ways that they apply to entertainment. They also acquired uh, several Square Enix Studios at IP, which was in you know, what we can easily call the deal of the year for a measly $300 million. They were able to get a few uh, pretty talented studios and a few uh, pretty big name intellectual properties. Um, they also acquired a few other studios, Bitwave Games, Geotech, Limited Run Games, Syntrix, Tatsujin Company, Tripwire Interactive, Tuxedo Labs, Campfire Cabal, and Anime Limited. We also had Chinese gaming giant NetEase purchased uh, the studio called Quantic Dream. And then finally, we had Xbox's announcement that they're acquiring Activision Blizzard for close to $70 billion. The big difference between the, this one and all the others is that this has not actually been finished yet. Uh, according to Net, uh, excuse me, Netflix, excuse me, according to Xbox's uh, internal timeline of when they expected this to close, I think that at one point had thrown out the date of June 2023 for when they expected this to close. Obviously, in the last uh, few months and especially the last few weeks, there's been a lot of opposition, primarily from PlayStation. And now they're sort of dealing with the UK and their CMA going through their review, which we expect a sort of a verdict on that in January. So we won't have to wait long. And right now they're kind of fighting with the FTC here in the United States. So there's opposition in these uh, two pretty, pretty big uh, chunks within our games industry in terms of sales, UK and the United States of America. And, you know, obviously that was the, the not only just the biggest announcement for an acquisition this year, it's the, it, if it goes through, it will be the biggest acquisition in gaming industry. Uh, and it will actually be the biggest acquisition in tech history. Uh, it will be the most money spent to acquire another company. So it is, it is a, uh, a, a big deal. And I've mentioned it multi, uh, multiple times that I do not think that it is anti-competitive. I do not think that it gives Xbox's absolute unfair advantage in our industry. I've spoken before and I've said that there are definitely acquisitions that Microsoft could pursue that I would sit there and instantly say this this needs to be blocked you know something like steam for example would give microsoft a lot of power um in the pc gaming space yeah xbox obviously which would never happen you know xbox announced that they're acquiring nintendo for example like you know there, there are these announcements that that can be made that i feel would cause everyone except for these super core Xbox fanboys to say, no, this, this actually this acquisition would not be healthy for our industry. This particular one, because of Xbox's position, I don't think it, it, it would be. I feel like maybe an argument could be introduced and made if PlayStation or Tencent, for example, were to try to acquire Activision Blizzard because they already have such a distinctive market advantage in terms of that slice of the pie they have a big chunk of it 
But when it comes to Microsoft and, and Xbox, they've, they've firmly been in a place that they've been in for quite some time. And when we think about Xbox's entire timeline from its introduction to, uh, you know, this era that we're in right now with the Xbox Series X, they have never been in first place. They've never been in some sort of dominating position. And you can easily say that for the past, I think, three years, I would say three, four years, it really has been the first time that we've seen Xbox become extremely competitive across multiple fronts, whether it's cloud gaming, mobile, obviously what we're seeing with Game Pass, improving one of their biggest weaknesses, which is first party games. It's just interesting to see that we now have this major player in our industry that is ready, willing, and able to strategically pivot, turn that ship to the right direction, but then, and, but then also is ready, willing, and able to spend the money to put themselves in a better position. Um, it, it, just, it just doesn't make sense that at this, at this point uh, in, in Xbox's trajectory that we say, hey, if you, if you make this move, it will be too much. Um, because I, I truly don't believe that it will be too much or give them an unfair advantage. If I felt that way, I would absolutely say it. I think everyone that listens to Camp Koji knows that I, I do not believe in console allegiances and, and blindly defending a plastic box. It's, that's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. So while I, I do understand inquiries and um, opposing opinions, I think are very, very healthy when it comes to any type of acquisition, especially one of this size. I do think once we zoom out and walk away from it, I feel like it's easy to see why it would increase competition, why it would be uh, good for consumers. You know, something as simple as Activision Blizzard games finally being available on streaming and cloud services, which is something that's not available now and doesn't seem to be something that Activision was ever actively interested in. We've seen all these different publishers um, either attempt, kind of give it a try, dip their their tolls in the, in, in, in the streaming pool and try different things. Activision Blizzard was just completely against it. So, you know, you have that angle, you have the angle of us understanding everything that we now know about what's happening internally at Activision Blizzard, whether it's denying um, protections or, um, how can I say this, uh, denying the recognition of of unions that are happening right now and Activision Blizzard and seeing kind of the opposite way, the complete opposite way that Microsoft feels about unionization and then everything else that's been happening, um, all these allegations of sexual assault, uh, uh, harassment and everything else. You know, it, it's it's very easy to look at it as like a very net positive if Activision Blizzard was acquired by uh, Xbox, but also look at it in a way of, yeah, there's no way that this is not going to increase competition because PlayStation can try to sell you uh, as big of a story as they would like to sell you. There is zero doubt that Xbox has made PlayStation a better platform. There's just zero doubt about it. Now, because of Xbox, PlayStation is now pursuing 
a little bit more heavily than in their history play, uh, multiplayer gaming. This is not something that PlayStation has been known for. And I think Xbox has been part of that um, of that push. You know, PlayStation Plus's revamp, if it wasn't for Game Pass, I don't think we would have seen something like that. PlayStation games now being on PC, if it wasn't for Xbox, uh, you know, identifying that opportunity first and, you know, putting both feet inside of that pool um, and, and, and PlayStation noticing their success. I don't, I don't, I don't think PlayStation would be doing the same, you know, Xbox was the first of the two to offer an all digital console. And I think PlayStation saw that success and, and, and went ahead and did the same with PlayStation five, not saying that that was solely the reason why, but you know, there are a lot of these things that you can identify and look at and say, wow, Xbox has made PlayStation better. The same way that PlayStation has forced Xbox to become better. <laughs> you know, uh, if Xbox had it easy peasy, then we wouldn't see Xbox be so aggressive with buying up studios because they do have this understanding that not only is talent important, but also owning this, uh, these intellectual properties for um, various reasons is also going to be important. And, Hey, if we can't build it ourselves, we're going to have to go out and buy it because the one advantage that we do have is money. So, you know, there, there's just, there's just no way that this would not make, um, our industry better. It would, it would, it would cause Sony to accelerate whatever else, whatever they're trying to do with mobile. Now. Um, I think it would cause them to accelerate the way that they look at their subscription services. Um, and, offer better incentives and more games to their uh their audience it would accelerate uh getting exclusive releases onto those subscription services either day one or um tighten that window between initial release and it coming to those services and you know and 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 and, and so many other things there's no way to look at this in my opinion i don't think there's any way to look at it as um as anti-competitive i feel like it would actually only boost competition between these two another trend that i noticed was gaming on the go not having video games on your television there was a point in time uh i think it was in 2020 where i had written this little article and the article was titled Xbox is the only next generation console. And the reason why I had said that was because I felt that Xbox was the leader in our industry um, in terms of separating software from hardware, which is sort of the, the final destination of our industry. Because when you think about entertainment industries, our games are really the only one that is still sort of explicitly tied to a dedicated piece of hardware, right? So at one point, if you wanted to watch a movie, you needed, you know, at home, you needed a dedicated device, right? You needed a VCR, you had to buy the tape. DVD play, you have to buy the DVD. Blu-ray play, you have to buy the Blu-ray. And I think by and by, I don't have the numbers because this isn't a movie um, podcast, but uh, I'm pretty sure 
if I if I pulled up numbers, we would now see a, a much richer balance. Um, if someone asks, hey, how do you watch a movie or a TV show? I'm pretty sure we're going to see a big chunk of that pie be taken up by streaming because streaming technology has gotten so much better that, um, you know, if you're streaming a, you know, a brand new Marvel TV show or, you know, a few days ago, you know, watch Glass Onion on Netflix, which is pretty good. Yeah, you know, streaming something like that, it looks good, it plays good, and you have instant access. Same thing when we look at music, right? At some point, if you want to listen to music, you have to buy a uh, a Walkman, buy the tapes, a uh, a mini disc. I don't know if anyone out there makes me sound old. I guess a mini disc. I, I once had a, a Sony mini disc. Um, you know, CD players. You have to buy CDs. You know, I guess we can even talk about record players. Um. We are really the last ones left when it comes to instant access and um, basically placing, separating the software from the hardware, where if I were to go to Apple TV and, and, and buy every season of my favorite TV show, which is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, when I make that purchase and I buy it on my phone, I don't I don't really think about it, right? It's not like I, I say to myself, okay... Should I buy this on my TV so I can watch on my TV? Do I buy it on my phone so I can watch on my phone? No. When you make that purchase, you make it understanding that, hey, if I'm on my PC, I can watch Always Sunny. On my TV, watch Always Sunny. Uh, you know, I'm on my phone, watching Always Sunny. We we are the only industry that 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 hasn't been able to accomplish that. And a lot of that is obviously bandwidth because of the size of these video games. That's the solution uh, that cloud gaming solves when it comes to that. Um, which is why I had talked about Xbox being the only next generation console. I'm not saying that that plastic box is better than all the other ones. I look at it as, uh, you know, mentally building the bridge for the future of our industry. I feel like Xbox is at the forefront of, Hey, you want to play this game? You want to access it? You know, you give me this monthly fee. You don't even ever need to buy a box ever again. Um, you just need to buy a controller and, and heck, you even have to buy our controller. You can use a PlayStation controller. Like the hardware itself, controllers included, don't matter for Xbox. The software is king. And uh, obviously that brings its own benefits, especially when you think about the the, the margin of, of software and subscriptions versus something like hardware. So gaming on the go was a big trend this year. We had Netflix enter into the mobile gaming space, bringing traditional games to that Netflix service, such as Immortality, Oxenfree, Kentucky Route Zero, and Spiritfarer, these games that have really been connected with video games in general, console and or PC. And then they're basically going to these companies and signing these exclusivity deals. So for example, Immortality was a Game of the Year nominee across various award shows and, and awards from, from websites. If you want to play Immortality, um, on your phone, you must be a Netflix subscriber. So they're kind of identifying a lot of these mobile games and I guess helping them bring it over to a mobile space, but you have to be a Netflix subscriber um, to buy it. I brought, I mean, excuse me, to play it. I brought this up before. Where I don't think that this strategy really works in the sense of someone hearing, oh my God, I can play Immortality on the phone. Well, I guess I, guess I should start a Netflix account. No, I think it's more about, it's like an added perk. 
It's like people like me who already own a Netflix account. And you go to the Netflix app and you're like, oh, cool. You know, they have games now. I'll, I'll, I'll give these a, a try. But I can't imagine someone paying for a Netflix service just to access cell phone games. I don't think that's really happening. Then we had Xbox Mobile Cloud, of course, especially including uh, a game like Fortnite was a really big thing for them this year. We also saw this um, this advent of dedicated cloud devices. You know, you have the Logitech G Cloud. Uh, the Razer Edge was also announced this year, but I think it releases next January or February. We also had um, Xbox Cloud Gaming joining Samsung TVs. And I was actually able to uh, try this yesterday, Christmas Day. By the way, you know, hope, hopefully everyone had uh, an amazing Christmas and, and are having these amazing holidays this year. We freaking earned it as a species. <laughs> you know, uh, this the, these last few years have been kind of tough, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was able to try. My brother-in-law just recently bought a uh, a very new. 85 inch Samsung and I, I took my controller over uh, to his house and I was like, hey, I, I want to try this Xbox app. Very, very easy. Installed in seconds. The login process was very easy. You, know, you scan a, a QR code on the screen. You know, you log in. It's very, very fast, very easy. And I think, uh, you know, syncing a controller was very fast, syncing it to the, to the television. I would say the whole process just as setting it up to me firing up the first game had to be like five minutes. Very, very fast, very easy. And I decided to, 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 to start with um, something very, I guess, low impact. So I fired up Vampire Survivors first. And it was, I mean, really, really good. Um, I would, you know, the button lag was definitely negligible. It wasn't something that, you know, uh, I, you know if, if someone... If I had to control this to someone, you know, someone that's a dedicated gamer, I think you would easily be able to fool someone into thinking you had an Xbox Series X in your house. It, it was that good. There was like one moment where there was like a little bit of a hiccup and, you know, it got like visually splotchy, you know, like uh, it, 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 it was loading. Then I tried Forza. I tried a little bit of High on Life. It, it just all worked really well. You know, I was telling my 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 brother-in-law about it. Um, and I was telling him, I was like, isn't this pretty amazing that you know I was kind of showing the Game Pass library? And I was like, you can you can get all this for the price of a Xbox controller, which is what 50, 60 bucks right now, and then ten dollars a month. And I told him I was like, your first month is gonna be a dollar. And it's it's just really amazing that as an industry, we've, we've, we've reached this point. And look, Xbox wasn't the first to do game streaming on uh, on a TV. Um, I don't think they're going to be the last, but this is the reason why I look at Xbox as like the next generation console because Nin Nintendo doesn't, I don't think they're, they have, I think Nintendo has zero interest in ever doing this. But then I look at PlayStation, I'm like, yeah, you guys got to get on this, man. This is something where, you know, just imagine the explosion of PlayStation Plus subscribers you would get. Because let's, let's, let's be honest, Game Pass is great. But, you know, let's not say like, you can't look at PlayStation Plus and, and say that their library is garbage because it's not, right? They still have a, 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 a pretty great library over there too. 
Uh, they're not as dedicated to fueling it as Xbox, but it it really felt like, honestly, it felt like magic when I was playing on that television. I was very surprised as how good uh, it plays. And it was just also noticing how good cloud gaming has 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 gotten. You know, technically Xbox Cloud is still in beta. You know, when you fire it up, it still says beta at the end of every game. There, you know, Xbox is still collecting feedback. How was it? They're asking how was the stream and stuff like that. Um, and on cell phones, it's definitely gotten better. I tried it uh, for the first time in a while, like two two weeks ago, and I, you know, I was like, okay, you know, it's actually working pretty well. The touch controls, I think, still need work on Xbox Mobile. But to see how well this Samsung thing works was I was really blown away by that. We even had Tesla adding games just like a week ago. Obviously, we still have you know dedicated handhelds like the Nintendo Switch. Of course, Steam Deck launching this year had a huge, huge year. You know, I think without actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say this without argument. I think it was the most successful hardware launch. Yes, you know, I'm going to say, I think it was the most successful hardware launch we've seen in our industry, I think ever. When you think about the fact that you are essentially launching something to create a market, because a market really doesn't exist for Steam Deck, there is a desire for it. But what Steam was able to do, a Valve executed with Steam was magic. I mean, you know, we're talking about a device that's a dedicated PC launching starting at $399. Um, you know, then the other ones are like what, 529, 649. And it just it works really, really, really well. And people are just really happy with it. You know, and you understand that this piece of hardware is, you know, just a start. They're gonna reiterate it, they're gonna make it better. It's gonna get slimmer. The battery life is gonna get better. It's gonna get quieter. Um but what they were able to do is is extremely admirable. And amongst everything that happened this year, I, I feel like it's one thing that's like, yeah, we can't forget what Valve did with Steam Tech this year. We also saw amazing mobile games, Marvel Snap, Genshin Impact continues, right? Um, Sony, Nintendo, and Xbox have all shown further interest in entering the mobile space. We had Nintendo mobile games company DNA form a joint venture company called Nintendo Systems. Sony acquired Savage Game Studios. That acquisition led to PlayStation um, creating the PlayStation Studios mobile division. So now they're, they're, they're starting to go heavy in that. Xbox announced that they'd like to open a mobile game store. They said mobile was one of the main drivers behind their Activision Blizzard King acquisition. So all that big, big stuff. Then we had some other great trends this year, unionization. Obviously, we saw starting in Blizzard Albany, QA testers there won their vote. Late, you know, was like a few weeks ago, we had 300 QA devs at ZeniMax Media announcing their intent to form a union. So that's the trend I hope continues. And then finally, one of the other trends that I noticed was free-to-play is, is starting to expand even more. So we saw this expansion beyond what we could consider a traditional free-to-play game, I think, in terms of big names, which are like shooters, MMOs kind of things. You know, we had games um, go from traditional models over to free-to-play, right? We have Fall Guys, Overwatch 2, I think um, Knockout City were three games that did not begin as free-to-play. 
but then they sort of moved over to that model this year. We also saw fighting melee games go free to play, Deathverse, Multiverses, Rumbleverse. That upcoming Project L fighting game from Riot was announced as a free to play. We had sports games like Roller Champions and Knockout City. And I, I feel like this is going to continue to expand. I actually think sports game should be the one that these companies need to start um, looking at, especially games that probably have a little bit of a decline in interest. Um, I'm looking at you, Madden. I don't feel like Madden is, is as huge as it used to be, or maybe it's just me. Um, but I, I, I mean, I, I've brought this up before where I still feel like um, the majority of games in our market need to start experimenting with letting people in the door for free, whether it's for uh, a limited time or not. I think um, the best sale, especially if you have the utmost confidence in your game, is letting people interact with it for free, kind of getting them hooked. It's almost like, uh, I hate to compare it to drugs. I really do. But you know, uh, you, you got to give away the first hit for free. And, uh, you know, I know Knockout City experimented with that in their launch. And I, I would I, I think that's going to be a trend. I don't want to say it's a trend going forward, but I do think it's something that companies should start looking uh, into. And now let's kind of wrap it up with uh, talking about the big three um, and, and the years that they had. And I'm going to start with Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo had... Def, I, I don't want. I, I don't think I could sit here and say they had their strongest year ever, but it sort of does feel that way in terms of the perception of what is your expectation from owning a Nintendo Switch, and if you are a person that is very much invested in the ecosystem of Nintendo, you're very much invested in what that company produces and what they make available. I can't imagine you being upset over being a Nintendo Switch owner this year. <laughs> you know, they had a pretty strong first-party lineup, starting with Pokemon Legends, Kirby and the Forgotten Lands, Nintendo Switch Sports, Mario Strikers Battle League, Fire Emblem Warriors 3 Hopes, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, Splatoon 3, Bayonetta 3, and then finally, of course, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, which, you know, they're not have... Actually, no, I can't say they have the greatest launch. They did have the greatest launch. I guess quality-wise is probably one of uh, Nintendo's worst games, in my opinion. Actually, no, that's not an opinion. That's a fact. Then we have some pretty good... Um, what do you call it? Some some pretty good third-party exclusivity. Mario plus Ravage Sparks of Hope. Live Alive. Um, Triangle Strategy. Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Which, yes, I, I know that now it's no longer kind of console exclusive but still you know uh they had it to themselves this year we had we saw some really great ports no man's sky persona 5 royal near automata seafood tunic return to monkey island neon white so just a, a lot of good third-party support is what they um what they got this year as i said just you know everything about nintendo it, and it, it's very important that it you are really into that ecosystem i think that if you are a core Xbox, a core PlayStation user, I think for some of them, you know, this is probably a secondary console to them. But at the same time, 
if you're not invested into the ecosystem of what Nintendo puts out, I am actually one of those people that is not invested into Nintendo's ecosystem. You know, you're the only person that would be disappointed if you owned, um, you know, a Nintendo Switch. You know, for every, when I look at Nintendo's entire lineup this year, there was nothing that really moved me personally. Um, but like I said, that's just me. And I'm obviously in a minority. We're talking about a console that is close to what, 115 million sold or something crazy like that. I'm sure they're having an amazing holiday season right now. Um, yeah, just, you know, when you look at Nintendo, especially from a, you know, business perspective, they've done a lot right. And they've gotten the more, the most important aspect correct when it comes to, um, being a major manufacturer of a console, which is, are you supporting your own console? <laughs> and, you know, we're going to talk about Xbox later. And it's like these two publishers exist on opposite ends of the, of that same spectrum where you see Nintendo does such an amazing job of fueling their own piece of hardware compared to a company like Xbox, which is almost 100% reliant on third party. And you look at Nintendo and it's not even like 50, 50, I would look at Nintendo, maybe close to like 70, 30 in terms of, uh, content that gets people to buy your hardware. I don't think anyone's buying a Nintendo Switch to play Sifu on the go. Maybe something like Persona 5 Royal, Monster Hunter. You know, I think that there are these types of games, but I think really the bulk of people that are buying are, are for the you know the Pokemon's, the Fire Emblem, the Bayonettas. You know, think the things that Nintendo is producing. Now, uh, the bad. The bad is Switch Online continues to still be bad. Nintendo has shown no intent to invest more into their online infrastructure. I think, if I'm not mistaken, for Splatoon 3, you still need to use your cell phone just to even talk to people. It's, it's, it's basically asinine at this point that Nintendo still has such a bad online experience in the year 2022. The expansion pack, if you are subscribing to switch online by yourself i think it's still a really bad deal um in the entire year remember switch online expansion was announced last october ever since its announcement they've only added two pieces of downloadable content if i'm not mistaken you know they started off with the animal crossing dlc then you have the mario kart 8 dlc and they added the Splatoon 2 Octo expansion, I think, were, I think those are the only three pieces of expansion that are, um, that are sort of on there. I think that they could have done a better job of giving them perks. Maybe um, if you are a Switch Online person, you get um, exclusive equipment for Mario Strikers, for example. I don't, I don't think I'd give you an exclusive character. I don't think I'd do that exclusive uh, clothing items for Splatoon 3, maybe something more visual, not something that gives you an unfair advantage. Um, items for Pokemon, I don't know. I feel like there was more that they could have done perk-wise for people that subscribe to it. Look, it's still an amazing deal if you're able to find, what is it, like seven people, I think it is, for the Nintendo family plan. I think you end up paying like less than $10 for the year. So it's still an amazing deal, but it's not a good deal if you're buying this by yourself. And I understand that a lot of people are like, well, Joel, but you know, you get the Mario Kart 8 expansion. That's 
what is it, like $30, $40 on its own. I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact price. But remember, this only really works if you like, if you're a Mario Kart player or if you're an Animal Crossing player and you must continue to pay for that subscription in order to access that content. You actually still do not own it. So it's it's really, if you look at, you know, 114 million uh, Nintendo Switch owners, I don't know the official numbers of how many Switch Online subscribers that they have. Not every single person is playing Mario Kart 8, right? So yeah, it's really not a good deal. Uh, and then the biggest bad for Nintendo this year was the Nintendo Switch itself is obviously starting to show its age. It's, it's, I would say that 2023, holiday 2023, is the perfect time for Nintendo to introduce an upgrade to the Nintendo Switch. You know, we saw many games that are really starting to struggle uh, in terms of ports. Obviously, there's still like this giant wall that's built over at Nintendo that keeps the biggest PlayStation and Xbox games that are built away from them. You know, when you think about the biggest name, something like Elden Ring, for example, and the Call of Duties of the world. Uh, the Assassin's Creed's is. and you know a lot of people look at like cloud is like oh you know but cloud is a solution but you, you know you talk about a mobile um, system that does not have access to cell phone networks so you technically can't play anywhere and cloud on Nintendo does not work super duper well I think they use a Taiwanese company for their uh, their cloud tech doesn't work super well. But we've seen some companies try to take advantage of it. Capcom most recently released in Resident Evil 7. I think Village, I think 2, 3 were added also, but all of them require the cloud. So it's obviously starting to show its age. We saw what happened with Scarlet and Violet. Bayonetta 3 was also a tough one where a lot of the games that were being reviewed this year, you could see that a lot of points were knocked off purely because of hardware. And it's not even... Like, there's no talent at the studio, right? When you look at Bayonetta 3, you, I, I think we can confidently say that team tried their best to get the game running as smoothly as they could. I don't think I'd say the same for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. That game was obviously just poorly optimized, and I think they, they, they just put money over quality. Um, but it's obviously it's obvious that it's starting to show its age. It's time for them to introduce something new. I still believe that the right path for them is the new Nintendo Switch path, I don't see Nintendo introducing a Switch 2 and just leaving the Nintendo Switch in the dust. I think maybe at some point they should, you know, they could make it so that new Nintendo Switch games can become exclusive to that hardware if you really need that dedication. But I think we're still going to see a lot of companies try their best to get games running on Nintendo Switch and optimize it so it just looks and runs better on a newer piece of hardware. I still believe that that's going to be their hardware plan. I still think it's going to be a, a new Nintendo Switch um, because I can't imagine Nintendo just leaving 114 million people in the dust. I, don't, I just don't think that's going to happen. PlayStation. PlayStation obviously had an, a pretty great year too. They had a side, solid lineup of exclusive games, timed and otherwise. You had the Horizon Forbidden uh, West to start off the year. We saw the Uncharted Legacy of Thieves collection. Gran Turismo 7, you know, had a, a kind of a bad launch, but I think uh, uh, they've improved by now. Strangers of Paradise, Final Fantasy Origin, Ghostwire Tokyo, Sifu Stray, Last of Us Part 1, and of course, we have to talk about God of War, Ragnarok. Uh, other trends that we saw from PlayStation this year, we got um, 
a bigger look into their plans in terms of expanding their intellectual property. Last of Us hits HBO next January. We They announced the Horizon TV series going to Netflix, Ghost of Tsushima film, God of War TV, TV series at uh, Amazon. You know, even though it's not technically a Sony project, it still sort of is a Sony intellectual property. We got the announcement of a Death Stranding film. Uh, and then a Days Gone film was rumored, but I don't think it was ever confirmed. So that was a big trend for PlayStation expanding their intellectual property past video games. Uh, another great trend for that I saw from PlayStation this year was their commitment to PC. This year alone, we got the most PC releases from PlayStation in a single calendar year. We got God of War, Spider-Man Remastered, Spider-Man Miles Morales, The Uncharted Legacy of Thieves Collection, and then we got Sackboy, A Big Adventure. We also had announcements for Returnal next year. We got The Last of Us Part 1 coming next year. And then there was the um, the confirmation that whatever The Last of Us multiplayer project ends up being is also coming to PC. So we got this renewed um, commitment from PlayStation towards, P Herman, uh, towards PC. Herman Holtz confirmed that new PS PS5 games We'll have a minimum one-year exclusivity. That's what they're working with right now, which I actually still think that that, that's, that model works. I think it's the right model for PlayStation. Um, but it doesn't include live service games. So live service games have either A, a shorter window, or B, it's something that we'll be launching with um, consoles. And I think that's why we, we saw, we're, we're seeing Last of Us Part 1 go to PC a lot quicker than uh, other games in the past is because that last was multiplayer come to PC. You want to build that player base right now. Uh, so that game launches over there next March. But it's it's definitely been one of the best decisions that PlayStation has made. Once again, I think it's a, play, a, a decision that does not happen without Xbox. If Xbox was not finding success on PC, if we were not seeing this rapid record growth with a service like Steam, I don't think we'd see PlayStation enter into the PC market. So once again, proof that competition really does make companies better. Um, they also did a really great job convincing players um, and making them feel more comfortable with spending $500 on that PlayStation 5 box. Um, just really, really, really solid in terms of, hey, if you buy this, there's going to be some more great games coming next year. Um, the bad. The bad for PlayStation this year was their PlayStation Plus revamp was confusing. It was a mess. Um, you know, three tiers. I said it back when it was rumored. I was like, you guys got to make this two tiers. I still think two tiers was really the way to go. Um, their way of approaching retro games was re retroactive. It just, I, I feel like it's going backwards. Um you know, this, this, this sort of drip feed of content where they're asking people to pay more, like, hey, this is the most expensive tier, but then they're not treating it as the most expensive tier. They're not really fueling it as much as they should be fueling it. Uh, this lack of commitment of what's going on with their first party games, they don't even want to date anything. They don't want to tell you when uh, Horizon Forbidden West will hit that service because... It, you know, Sony's just looking really closely at those numbers. And until Horizon Forbidden West exists really dead in the water from a retail perspective and, and they, they see that the sales are really starting to dry up, I think at that point is when it'll come to the service. 
I don't think they want to put a date on it because when they put a date on it, they have to stick to it no matter how well that the game is continuing to sell. Uh, we also saw them raise prices on games and consoles, which is a bad charging players for cross-gen upgrades. I feel like it's a bad, you guys, come on, man. It's like, you guys are doing well enough. You don't have to charge people $10 if they bought God of War this year and then they decide to buy PlayStation 5 next year. You know, why are we charging them $10 just to play God of War on that PlayStation 5? Uh, it's petty. Um, yeah, it really is nickel and diming the way that I, I sort of look at it. The other bad that I got from PlayStation this year is their anti-Activision Blizzard defense. The reason why I bring that up is it's like, look, man, when you're in first place, act like you're in first place, man. Like, like you're not supposed to be scared of these types of moves. You're supposed to be emboldened by it, bolstered by them. You know, you should welcome the competition. You know, it's it's been really sad to see PlayStation, who is king, right? PlayStation is at the top. They're they're sitting in that throne, right? It was really sad and a little bit pathetic to watch them sit on that throne and almost like be forced to praise Xbox or find ways to praise Xbox and talk about how great Game Pass is and how how bad it would be. Like you know, like PlayStation is going to collapse. Tomorrow we're gonna we're gonna lose our homes. We're gonna lose our pants if Call of Duty goes uh, to Xbox. It's like, come on, man! Like you guys are freaking ridiculous about this. Uh, the other bad I would say is PlayStation VR two. I think would be the final thing I would bring up. Five hundred and fifty dollars. I think it's sort of a little bit delusional. I think it's delusional from the beginning for them to think that this was gonna be a success. Uh, I've been beating that drum for a while. I think I I, I talked about it. I think a, at least a year ago on, on Camp Koji, maybe even over a year ago, I spoke about how um, I don't, I think this is going to be PlayStation's biggest failure um, this generation, maybe possibly of all time. I don't know. Um, I, it is one of those things where I always say, I hope I'm wrong because I never want uh, any player in our industry to fail. It's not really what I desire. Um, so I, I hope I'm, 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 I'm proving wrong. I would be happier with that egg on my face. Um, I, I, I wish them nothing but success. And then finally, we have to talk about Xbox. So Xbox's biggest success in the year 2022 was without a doubt Game Pass. Like nothing really comes close. Uh, I calculated it. They added about 220 games to the service this year. Now remember... Uh, it still becomes a net positive, but we do also have to remember that they did remove games this year. So it's not, I wouldn't say that the, the Game Pass library is growing. I'm sure maybe if you put the numbers, it might be a net positive still. Um, but that's just the way that these services work. I think it makes sense. Um, but there are a lot of kind of big games. Mass Effect Legendary Edition, Guardians of the Galaxy, Death Stranding uh, for PC. Then we saw them really raise the bar when it comes to day one exclusives. And this is where I commend Xbox because they dropped the ball when it comes to first party releases, but I feel like they tried their best to pick it up when it came to um, day one third party content being added to Game Pass. And I feel like if you were an Xbox owner this year, the only way you would be unhappy is if you didn't have Game Pass. I can't imagine a Game Pass owner on Xbox being unhappy with this year. They added Day One Games, Rainbow Six Extraction, MLB The Show 22, Persona 5 Royal, High on Life, Tunic, 
TMNT, Shredder's Revenge, Vampire Survivors, Deathloop, Scorn, A Plague Tale Requiem, Immortality. And I'm sure there were probably many more that I missed. These are probably, you know, the 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 uh the biggest games that they released this year. I like I said, I will have to say, if you are a Game Pass subscriber, whether it's PC or it's console or ultimate, you know, you have both. I just cannot imagine you being disappointed with what they did. They also expanded Xbox Cloud. We obviously saw it coming to, to television. Uh, browsers, they expanded it in terms of how well it works. Um, you know, partnering up with these cloud, dedicated cloud handhelds like Logitech, um, expanding touch controls for, for mobile cloud. You know, that was the number one thing that Xbox did right um, this year. Unfortunately, that kind of was the only thing that that they did right because they actually only released, this is going to sound kind of a little bit crazy, but Xbox actually only released two games this year. Um, and actually only one of them was developed by Xbox, which was Pentiment, right? We had Obsidian develop that, which is uh, a studio owned by Xbox and the Xbox published it. The only other game that they released was As Dusk Falls, which was published by Xbox, but not developed by them. I, I do not count Microsoft Flight Simulator coming to console because it's technically just a port. And I think the only other thing that they did was the Forza Hot Wheels expansion, I think maybe uh, was the only other thing that they released uh, this year. And I think that was it. That's sad. That's legitimately, legitimately sad um, if you're an Xbox owner. You know, like I look at it as, as I, I can't stop thinking about the, the SpongeBob meme. Like Xbox is Squidward looking out the window. Yeah, or Xbox fans are the Squidward looking out the window at, you know, uh, SpongeBob and Patrick being represented by PlayStation Nintendo fans being extremely happy with the first party content that they got to their respective consoles and even just third party exclusives. Because when we think about day one um, launches on Xbox, yes, they came to Game Pass, but they, you know, they were still available in other consoles and, and definitely still available on PC. Um, you know, outside of like High on Life, High on Life was probably their most iconic third-party exclusive that they had this year. I mean, in terms of console exclusives. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I just, it, it was a really, really bad year for Xbox, especially when you compare it to last year. Last year was, was a lot stronger. I think another bad for Xbox this year was Halo Infinite. Just this absolute struggle that they've had <laughs> with this free-to-play game. Um, they've had a lot of growing pains. It, you know, I'm not going to say that Halo within the last month has turned a corner. I think that's a bit premature to say, but it's almost like with the last update, adding online co-op, adding Forge, revamping a lot of the multiplayer XP kind of stuff. I don't think they've turned the corner, but I think that 343 finally identified the corner <laughs> and I think they've become a lot more confident in this, this, this newfangled free-to-play model. And, you know, the future of Halo is looking a lot brighter than it did this year, but it was still really this disaster that they went through for this year. Out of the big three consoles, Xbox 
in my opinion, definitely did the worst job of making people feel confident in that, in their purchase in terms of uh, content. Um, you know, Xbox Series S's for Black Friday were practically being given away. Xbox was selling them as low as $200. And I think if you look at them as like Game Pass machines, they're this great deal. Uh, the problem, though, is when you think about um, first-party content. Because the thing about Xbox is that even first-party content has been announced and, and, and is on the horizon. You don't have as much confidence in those releases as you do with whatever PlayStation, Nintendo is working on. And Xbox proved it with something like Halo Infinite. It's almost like with Halo Infinite's launch and its one-year delay and the fact that it looked so bad when they first shown it, it was Xbox kind of telling their consumers like, hey, just to let you know, we can't be trusted when it comes to first-party content. You can't trust any promises that we make. That's definitely a stigma that they need to uh, sort of break out of. This week's hot releases are your backlog, you know, because, you know, it's the, it's the last, almost the last week of the year, or is it actually, no, technically it is the last week of, uh, of the year. So yeah, this week's hot release is just your backlog. Go play a game that you already own. Uh, time to wrap it up. We actually only have one story this week. Insider Gaming leaked an internal Q&A session where reportedly Jim Ryan said, quote, when we consider Game Pass, it seems to be getting lower, uh, referring to the Game Pass numbers. When we consider Game Pass, we've sold more PS5s in two years than they have gathered subscribers, and they've been doing that for six to seven years. We're just shy of 50 million subscribers, and they're in the low 20s, but there's more work to do to grow that number. Now, there's a lot wrong with what Jim Ryan just said. But we have to sort of break this down. I want to break this down. So we sold more PS5s in two years that they have gathered subscribers. That comparison makes no sense. It's comparing apples to uh, steaks or something like that. Like, you know, you can't really compare those two things. You can't compare hardware um, to uh, to software because when you when you sell a piece of hardware, you're selling you're you're losing money. When I gather subscriber. Um, I'm either really close to breaking even or because of the number of subscribers that I have offsetting the amount of money it took me to fuel that subscription. I'm, I'm, I'm more than likely fueling a net positive. Um, and, you know, the, there is no hardware, uh, you know, uh, cost cycle involved there, right? It's all it's all uh, a digital. Um this also the claim of we're just shy of 50 million. They're in the low 20s. That's also really an unfair uh, comparison because, uh, you know, PlayStation Plus is equivalent to Xbox Live's gold. Um, and low 20s only refers to Game Pass. That's not including gold subscriptions, which would make them a lot closer to PlayStation Plus, even though I believe PlayStation Plus still does have more subscribers, but unfortunately we kind of will never know because Xbox doesn't share those numbers. So it's not really a fair comparison. But what's interesting about this is, is, is a few things. Number one, it's, it's, it goes against everything that PlayStation themselves have said. Uh, in their CMA argument, they talked about, you know, the addition of, of Call of Duty being added to Game Pass would not allow them to compete 
with Game Pass. So this is really the complete opposite of what uh, sort of they uh, they had said. They 100% view Game Pass as competition because they revamped PlayStation Plus this year. If you don't see them as, as competition, you'd be okay with what was happening with PlayStation Now, which was like stuck at like, you know, 2 million subscribers or, you know, something crazy like that. Also, if you didn't believe Game Pass was a competitor, you wouldn't be paying money to companies to keep games off of Game Pass specifically. So there's a lot of things that PlayStation is doing to show that, yes, they do view Game Pass as competition. But the biggest thing about this um, quote, and uh, this is only coming from a single source, is coming from insider gaming journalist Tom Henderson, and he claims that an employee told him that this was set. I'm not sure if he heard an actual recording. This was a company meeting. Um, so the validity of this is still very much in question, but this does kind of help fuel, uh, Xbox's, um, fight for acquiring Activision Blizzard because part of Sony's opposition is them saying that we can never compete with Game Pass, but here's Jim Ryan telling employees and maybe even shareholders like, ah, pff, we don't even view them as competition, which is you know, you're just, you're just talking shit to talk shit. Like you don't really actually believe that, right? Like, you know, you really don't believe that at all. And uh shout out, shout outs, uh, go to you guys. You know, this is, the, this is the last week of the year. Thank you so much for anyone who listens to Camp Koji weekly. I discovered uh, recently that on Spotify, 90% of you listening uh, actually found the podcast this year. So that was kind of a cool analytic to see. Uh, but I appreciate it. Anyone who listens, likes it, sharing it, sharing it is always really important. Rating it, if on your if your platform allows a rating, it really does help out. So I really do um, appreciate it. I hope that uh, uh, everybody listening has you know a fruitful, happy New Year. Hopefully, your 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 next year starts off really strong. I don't think there's going to be an episode. Uh, next Monday, which is, which is January 2nd. I think we, you know, traditionally, every year, I skip the first week, usually because there's like zero news. But I, I think if something huge does happen, I'll, I'll end up creating an episode. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and, and, and see. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I will see you maybe not next week. But I'll see you in the new year. Thank you so much.